What does it mean to live a spiritual life that's not fake? Authenticity. What is an authentic Christian life, an authentic relationship with Jesus look like? Well, would you look at verse 26? If any man among you seem to be religious, bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, undefiled before God, and the Father is this. So verse 26, he's already told us that real religion involves self-control. Remember that when we talked about that? Self-control demonstrated primarily through what? You remember? Our speech, what we say. Self-control with our speech. So then he tells us in verse 27 at the beginning of it, he said that real religion not only involves self-control, real religion involves service. To visit the fatherless and the widows. But tonight we come to this truth. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And then he closes out the chapter, closes out the verse, and closes out this thought here. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. Real religion involves self-control. Real religion involves service. Real religion involves sanctification. Sanctification. So if I were to ask you this question, what is sanctification? Give me a good working definition of sanctification. In your own heart and mind, what would you say? What would you write down? Sanctification. If you've been around church much, you've heard that word used. You help me out and fill in this blank. Don't tell me how loud you shout or how high you jump. Tell me how blank you walk when you hit the ground. Tell me how straight you walk. Can I condense sanctification and put it in our terms, layman's terms, the average Joe? For lack of a better way to put it, sanctification is straight living. You know what I mean by straight living? Straight as opposed to crooked. Straight as opposed to deceptive. Straight as opposed to contaminated, straight, straight as straight in the sense of truth, being a straight line. By the way, the word integrity, the word integrity carries with it a sense of at least the meaning of the word. It has origin in something that is straight, something that is upright, like somebody's backbone. The core of a person. Straight living. Holy living. We call it integrity. Sanctification. Living a sanctified life. To sanctify something means to set it apart for a particular use. A 
or for a special purpose. In the Old Testament, God used that word often in the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify such and such. Such and such is sanctified unto me. That means it's set apart. It belongs to God. Consecrated is another word that's used in the Old Testament and even in the New, but it has a specific reference and connection to that word sanctify. Something is sanctified. It's consecrated. Here's another word that's used, dedicated. You ever heard that? Well, I want to be more dedicated. I tell you what, look at that person. They are dedicated. What do we mean by that? It's the same meaning. It's the same, just different words. It means something or someone that has been set aside and assigned a specific use or purpose. Special, we would say. Don't use these dishes every day, but these are special dishes for when, what? Special people come over. (laughs) Now, if it's just us and we're just eating supper, go get the old plates. Well, we got company. Well, if we got company coming, you go get the special dishes. You go to the cabinet, the china cabinet. Don't mess with those dishes that, that you get out of the cabinet in the kitchen. You go to the dining room and you open up that cabinet and you get those dishes. Why? Because those are special. Those have been set aside for a particular use. That's the idea, the meaning of the word sanctify. Sanctification. Where something or someone has been set aside, set apart for a specific use and a specific purpose. I want you to understand in the introduction tonight that sanctification in the life of the believer, this isn't anywhere in your notes. You may want to write this down. Just write this down. Sanctification in the life of a believer is positional, first of all. You've got to understand that. It's positional. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? That it's positional. It it means that as a believer, I and you, we have been made completely righteous by the covering of the shed blood of Jesus. That positionally, can I say it this way? Judiciously, Judicially, before the Lord as it relates to the court and the record of heaven. On heaven's record books, in heaven's courtroom, every believer has been declared, declared sanctified, righteous. Here's a word, justified. That's salvation. Let me go a step further. That's justification. That means that we've been legally declared, made righteous because of The righteousness of Jesus that has been applied to our account. Every believer tonight, positionally before God, as God the Father views our account in heaven, and we ought to say that we have been declared justified. Somebody says that means just as if we've never sinned. Well, it means even more than that. It means that in the record book, in the annals of the courtroom of heaven, you and I, on our account, God doesn't view our sins. God sees us through the lens of the righteousness of the blood of Jesus applied to our account. Now that's awesome. 
That's positional sanctification. But, friend, sanctification in the life of the believer is not only positional. Write this down. It's progressive as well. That means that in our individual lives as believers, as it relates to what we're talking about, shoe leather, everyday Christian life, everyday Christian experience, we are positionally sanctified. We are and have been made righteous because of Christ. But then there's a progressive sanctification in the sense that every day that I live, more and more and more and more, I am to be growing in my likeness to Jesus. I am to be becoming ever more practically holy and righteous in my life, in my habits, in my spirit. So there's positional sanctification, but then there's progressive sanctification for the believer. That we are to be growing in sanctification. Now I'm going to do something tonight that I've not done in a sermon. I'm going to give you the conclusion right now. You're weird. I know that. Tell me something I don't know. This is going to be highly unusual. I don't do this. And, and, the, and the screen people are going to get mad at me. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you the ending of the message at the beginning. I'm going to give you the takeaway right now. Okay, let me give you the takeaway. Three things I want to give you in the takeaway. And then, and then we're going to dive into the text. Now hang with me. Number one, understand the terms. And understand the truth. We have to understand what sanctification and salvation are before we can understand the truth of what we're talking about. So understand the terms and understand the truth. Salvation, listen carefully. Now you've got to listen on purpose. Salvation and sanctification are not the same. They're two different elements of Christian theology. But they are inseparably intertwined with one another. They're not the same, but you cannot separate them. They're inseparable. You see, our salvation initiates and enables the work of sanctification in our lives. There's no way in this world that, humanly speaking, we can be sanctified apart from the regenerating justifying, saving work of Jesus Christ that he's already done in our lives. Can I get an amen right there? You understand what I'm saying? And while salvation, while justification, that's a legal term again, that's a one-time event. Sanctification is an ongoing, continual process. You remember singing the song, and we do, and we have... Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer, pray. You know who wrote that song? Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley got saved on May the 21st, 1738. One year to the day, the one year anniversary of his conversion. His spiritual birthday. He sat down and wrote that song. Now we sing two, three verses of it, stanzas. You know how many he initially wrote? <laughs> About 16 to 18 stanzas of that hymn. And it's all great. 
But one of the stanzas makes this statement. Now, I want you to listen to the words. And I, we've sung this verse, but one of the verses says, listen. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. But go back in your mind to that first line. He, Jesus, breaks the power of canceled sin. That's sanctification. You see, canceled sin represents what? Salvation. Our bondage, our sin debt was canceled. Our jail cell was opened up, if I could say it that way. That's salvation. Salvation uh, is when Jesus comes to us and we're sitting in jail. We're sitting in bondage. And there's no way we could break free from the handcuffs. We can't break free from the prison. So Jesus saves us. He redeems us. He gives us His life. His freedom, His righteousness applied to our account. So we're sitting in the jail cell, and the the jail cell door, boom, it flings open. And we've been made free. But do you know how many Christians live life free people, but we're still sitting in the jail cell? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Say amen right there. We've been liberated. Jesus came and unlocked the door and opened the jail cell. And he says, go free. You're free. Go free. That's salvation. But let me tell you what sanctification is. Sanctification is where you get up and you walk out the front door of your jail cell. Sanctification realizes Jesus canceled my sin and my canceled sin doesn't have any power or authority over me anymore. Most Christians, though, live life with canceled sin having authority and power over us perpetually. You see, Jesus didn't die just to save you. He did die to save you. But it goes beyond that. He died to sanctify you practically in your life. He didn't he doesn't just want you to sit in a jail cell with the door wide open. He wants you to get out of the jail cell. He's already canceled our sin. But how many Christians do we know, and some in this room, and we ourselves, we live life so often with our enemy holding canceled sin over us. And we're still bound by the power of sin that has long since been canceled. You see. And while salvation and sanctification are distinct and different, They're inseparably intertwined together. Takeaway number two. Now listen now. The fight is always on. The fight's always on. The fight for what, preacher? The fight for sanctification. 
if you don't fight temptation and you don't fight sin any longer in your life, I want you to come talk to me after service. Because I want to hug your neck. I want you to sign my Bible. I want you to, you know, I want to drink the water you're drinking. I'm not for real. If you're no longer tempted and you are completely sanctified in your life, I want to talk to you. Because I want to get there. I'm telling you, the fight is on. And it didn't stop when you got saved. I've had Christians tell me, preacher, the fight didn't even seem like it started for me until I got saved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I didn't realize that the fight was on like that until I got serious about Jesus and got right with the Lord. So the fight is always on. Our own natural proclivity, our gravitation towards sin presents the need for perpetual sanctification. I mean, it's, listen, we always need to be sanctified. We're always standing in need of that progression of getting closer to Christ and closer to likeness to Jesus and closer to holiness and more righteous and holy and honoring to God in our life. Why? Because we all live in a dirty world. Now, gang... This isn't rocket science, and I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know. This world is absolutely filthy. My goodness. And sometimes I wonder, can it get any dirtier? Yeah. It's hard for us to imagine our culture and our sin-cursed world getting any more sinful. But it's going to abound and abound and abound and abound more and more as we get closer to the return of Jesus. And then when Christ raptures the church out and the world goes through the tribulation, brother, it's going to be unprecedented wickedness that you and I can't even fathom. We live in a dirty world. What is it the old song says? This world is no friend to grace. This world isn't set up to push you closer and closer to Jesus. The design of this world is to pull you further and further away from Jesus. So the fight is always on because we live in a dirty world and we all have deceived and dirty hearts. You're like, uh-uh, not mine. I don't have any deception in my own heart. No, I'm sorry. The scripture says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the hearts and... No, I, I, the Lord, know the heart and try the reins. So God says there's only one person who can truly know and discern each individual heart, and that's me. Your heart will lie to you, and so will mine. It's deceitful, even as a believer. You battle the world, you battle your own heart, and then we all deal with an indescribably wicked devil and his forces. It's the unholy trinity. (laughs) One preacher called it the devil's triangle. And there's not one believer that doesn't battle it and fight it. The fight's always on. And then I'll give you this one. And then we'll get into the text. Praise God, you've been given all that you need to win and to be sanctified. You've been given what you need. So watch this. 
Use it. Use it. If you're going to go play a baseball game, you know what you need to carry? You need to carry a bat and a glove. And you've been given for the game of life, and life isn't a game, but just for the analogy, you've been given the bat you need, the glove you need, the equipment you need. If a man's going fishing or a lady's going fishing, you know what you got to have if you're going to fish? You might not even have to have a pole, but you got to have a line and a hook, all right? It'd be helpful to have a pole. You got to have the right gear. You have the right gear in order to be a successful hunter. Unlike Christian, Andrew, and Elisha Powell. Let me just say that to you. You got to have the right equipment. You've been given the right equipment to be successful in your quest for sanctification. You got to use it. You see, I'm convinced our problem, our problem for most of us, is not a knowledge problem. It's an obedience problem. It's an application problem. Let's talk about the text. And it tells us three things about sanctification. Number one, it tells us that sanctification has a purity aspect to it. Has a purity aspect. Would you look back at verse 27 in James? He said, this is real religion, this is real genuine spirituality, for a man, a woman to keep themselves unspotted, unspotted. Think about that word unspotted. It literally means unstained. Unstained. You ever tried to protect something, keep something clean? It might be a tablecloth. It might be a dress. Ladies, do you remember when you got married? You're like, preacher, I can't remember yesterday, much less 30, 40, 50 years ago when I got married. You remember when you got married and you had the dress and it had to be just right? You had it steamed. You had it, and it, boy, it was clean. And, and, and everywhere you toted it from the time you pulled it off the shelf in the store or wherever you got it, you had it in one of those big old, big old heavy plastic bags. That weigh about 20 pounds itself, you know. It never hardly got out of the bag. Why? Because the last thing you would want is for something to stain your dress. I mean, that's your wedding dress. Who wants to be standing up here on the stage, smack dab in the middle of your ceremony? You done come down the aisle and everybody's gawking at you anyway, you know? And somebody looks and says, Ew, you got a big old Kool-Aid stain on your dress. <laughs> no! Nobody wants that. You ain't got time for that. Unspotted. Unstained. God says, listen now, I want you, I want you to keep your character and your integrity and your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit unstained. That's sanctification. So how do you do that? How do you do that? You stay away from sin. You avoid sin of all kinds, any kind, every kind. Avoid sin. 
you choose not to sin. Is sin really a choice? Yes, it's a choice every time. Sin's a choice every time. And if you're going to get serious, and I'm going to be serious about sanctification, I'm going to be serious about staying unspotted. Unstained. That's what the word means. It's interesting. It's the same word used over in 1 Peter when he's describing the Lord Jesus because he talks about Jesus being a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world as a lamb slain without blemish and without spot. So it's describing the purity of Christ. A clean life, a clean life represents purity of heart which encompasses desires, motives, so it's purity of heart, a clean life, purity of heart, purity of head, my thoughts. And by the way, my thoughts are impacted by what I see. Can I just say this? Hey, hey, I know who we are. If it was important 20, 30 years ago to watch or to be cautious and careful about what we watch on television... Gang, is it any less important now for us to be cautious about what we watch on television? I mean, my goodness. Be careful. Be careful what you allow to enter into your eyes and your ears. Now, I know Netflix is, and, you know, people, and, 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 and Amazon Prime and whatever other type little things like that that we people watch and series of shows that people like to binge watch and all that kind of stuff and I listen 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 I'm not saying all that stuff is sinful or wrong here's what I'm saying that you can't argue with the fact that if we watch profanity on television guess what we're going to be more prone to do we're going to be more prone to use profanity if we watch sexual scenes and inappropriate scenes on television, guess what is going to get implanted in our brain? And you know this, you know this. But I'm telling you, isn't it easy for us just to kind of, I don't know, get a little too casual with stuff like that in our culture? Can I get an amen? I want to tell you who doesn't take it casually. Lord doesn't. You know why? You know why some of you precious ones in this room, I'm, I mean, look, I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about the best, the cream of the crop in this room tonight. You know why some of you are struggling? That now when you get mad, you're tempted to cuss and use profanity? Because you've been watching it. You know why some struggle with thoughts of immorality? And you fantasize about somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife? Because what you're watching on television. You don't have to go to the movies anymore. It's coming home. That's why it's so important to be discerning. To strive for sanctification. So he says there's a, there's a purity aspect to it. And then, then he says, notice this, there's a personal aspect to it. Look at the verse, verse 27. He says, here's true religion for a man, watch this, to keep 
himself unspotted from the world. Keep himself. It's interesting, that word keep, it means to guard, to guard, to protect from loss or injury. I want you to listen to John 17, 15 through 17. Listen carefully. Are you still with me tonight? Jesus said in his high priestly prayer on the night he was betrayed, he said, I pray not, he's speaking to the Father, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Now stop. He says, Father, Father, don't take them out of the world. Father, I'm not praying for for isolation. Remember, gang, Jesus is not teaching hermit Christianity. He's not teaching us that we ought to seclude ourselves away from culture. He's not saying, Father, take them out of the culture. And we know that. Because Jesus called us not to flee from the culture. Jesus called us to impact culture. He didn't call us to hide our light. He called us to let our light shine. And you can't let light shine if light is never exposed to the darkness. He says we're light. He says we're salt. So he doesn't say, I want you to hide yourself from the culture. He does say, I want you to combat culture. I want you to be counter-culture. I want you to combat culture with truth. With truth. With holiness, with integrity. So Jesus says, Father, don't take them out of the world. But Father, I pray that you should keep them from the evil. Keep them. It's the same word. Same word in in John 17 that James uses right here in verse 27. It's the same word. It means to guard from loss or injury. Father, I pray that they would be sanctified. And he, he says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Then he says this, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Father, you make them holy. So it's interesting. Jesus prays in John 17, Father, would you sanctify them? Father, would you make them holy? And then James tells us right here that we have a responsibility to sanctify ourselves. You say, Christian, which is it? Is it God's responsibility or is it ours? It's both. By the way, God always fulfills his responsibility. But am I fulfilling mine? And being proactive in my responsibility to what does he say? Flee sin. This is how you do not fight sin. You don't put on your spiritual boxing gloves and come up to the devil and say, okay. Come on, big boy. I got you now. I can take you. Come on. Swing at my chin. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to knock you out. You know how I know that? Because I've been knocked out. God never told you to fight like that. You know how he told us to fight sin? Flee. Right? Run. (laughs) Put your jogging shoes on. Run from it. Quit. 
Get away from it. Run away. So we have the responsibility. We have a personal aspect that we are to. And it's interesting that here in James 1, 27, it's a present active infinitive. It's implying to keep on keeping yourself unspotted. Keep on. Well, I did it yesterday. Great, wonderful. Do it today. Well, I did it today. Wonderful. Get up tomorrow morning and keep yourself unspotted from sin. Every day, progress, progress. Keep going down the track. It's implying some kind of personal responsibility. Hey, gang, how are you doing? Have you just kind of been like, well, forget that. I kind of got whooped today. I'm just going to give in. No, don't give in. Don't, don't. You can't take that posture. You can't throw in the towel like that. You pursue holiness. You pursue God's presence. You pursue what God pursues. You pursue God's heart. And then I close with this. Sanctification has a practical aspect. He says, you got to keep yourself unspotted. And then he mentions, he says, from the world. From the world. Now that's a very interesting word, world. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about people? No. Is he talking about this globe? No. He's not talking about people and he's not talking about a place. He's talking about a philosophy, you see. It's the same as where he says over in 1 John 2.15, Hey, love not the world. What does he mean by that? He says, neither neither the things that are in the world. 1 John 2.15, he's basically teaching, Don't be enamored with the trappings of this present world. And boy, it's easy to get enamored, isn't it? It's the same as when he says in Romans 12 too. He says, be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't be pressed into its mold. Don't be pressed into its philosophical mold. Don't be pressed into its moral mold. Don't be pressed into its spiritual mold. It's practical. A.T. Robertson said, this world is full of dirt and slime that bespatters the best of men. That's an old English word, bespatters. Have you gotten bespattered lately? He says, avoid thinking and acting in accordance to the value system of this society around us. Friend, here's the deal. I'm not to act or to live according to the value system of this culture. That's why radio, television, social media, internet information, all of this stuff, being like our neighbors, being like the people we work with, all that, conforming to them. Friend, listen. You're not to be a conformist. You and I are to be pace setters. You and I are to be difference makers. You and I are to be counter-cultural. We are not to buy in to the deception and the fallacy and the heresy and the 
falsehood of a culture that's deceived. That doesn't help anybody. doesn't help us. doesn't help lost people. doesn't help our kids. doesn't help our grandkids. It doesn't honor the God. It doesn't help his kingdom. He says, I want you to, I want you to stay unspotted. As far away from sin as you can possibly get. So I close with this tonight. And nobody, nobody, nobody can answer this for, for you. Only you can, you and the Holy Spirit. How are you doing today? On a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to your sanctification today, how are you doing at your sanctification? 